Have you ever told your dancers to leave it at the door? Hi, it's Dr. Chelsea. I know I used that phrase a lot, and it's because I wanted dancers to come to class with a positive mindset and let go of any drama or challenges that might get in the way. But in this episode, we're going to challenge that idea because maybe telling your dancers to leave it at the door is actually doing them a disservice. My guest today is Allie Phillips, an embodied leadership coach, and she really opened my eyes to a new perspective. Allie owns Bust a Move Dance, which is a dance company for children, teens, and adults with disabilities. Allie believes that dancers with disabilities are dancers first, and she strives to disrupt the status quo by allowing for more inclusion in traditional dance studios. We discuss our egos as dance teachers, developing a teaching philosophy, and trusting ourselves as young professionals by tapping into our bodies for the answers. I even share my story of what it felt like as a dancer when I couldn't see a role model who felt the way I did about a career in dance. Okay, I'm excited to share this interview with you. Here's Allie Phillips. Welcome to the Passion for Dance podcast. I'm Dr. Chelsea, a former professional dancer and dance team coach turned sports psychologist. This podcast focuses on four main pillars, motivation, resilience, mindset, and community. Each week, you'll learn actionable strategies, mindsets, and tips to teach your dancers more than good technique. This is a podcast where we can all make a lasting impact and share our passion for dance. Let's do this. Hi, Allie. Thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. Thank you for having me. Will you just take a second and introduce yourself? Tell us a little about you and your dance journey. Yes, I would love to. Thank you for the invitation. So I'm Allie Phillips. I am, I have so, I wear so many different hats. What I will say, and I think probably for this podcast as well, I started out as a dancer. I've then moved into teaching, into business, into coaching, into leadership. But if I take it all the way back, uh, my mom enrolled me in dance class at three years old and I just think I found such a passion from a really, really early age. I think like any of us who have made dance into a career, we have similar similar stories in that sense. Like we just loved it. We loved it. And my dance studio was my second home. It was where I found all my friends, my dance teacher. This might be a little bit different to other people's stories, but my dance teacher just nurtured my love for dance, my confidence. She um, supported my outspokenness and I'm just so grateful for for her and, and, and how encouraging she was of me. So I grew up in a local dance studio. I did all the tap, ballet, jazz, contemporary. Hip hop came in a little bit later and yeah, did that in uh, like parallel to my schooling. Okay. I love that you're make a point of saying that your teacher was a positive influence because you're right. I think we see a lot of like how damaging the dance world can be and how hard it is. And there it's like, but there are really good teachers out there who make such an incredible difference in our lives. So I love that. Yeah. I, I think as an educator myself and as a studio owner, as an, as a coach, we do, we hear so much of the damaging side. And I just think it's so important. My, I wouldn't be where I was. I am now if it weren't for my dance teacher nurturing that in me. And so actually, so grade 10 happened and my mom, knowing how passionate I was and how much I wanted to pursue dance, approached my dance teacher and was like, should 
I enroll her in full-time? Should I take her out of school and put her in full-time dance? Or should I finish the edge? Like, should I get her to finish high school and then decide what she wants to do? And so my mm-hmm. dance teacher and my mom kind of consulted each other. And my dance teacher was like, dance will be here, go to school, get an education and then continue. Okay. And so at the end of high school, my sister, so this is where like my business side kind of comes in parallel. When I was in high school, my sister started a community center that had an interest in special needs. And once a month they had a dance party and I used to go and volunteer. And at the end of high school, before I started university to do my dance and education degree, she asked me if I wanted to start a dance class for some of the people that came to this dance party. And I didn't have very much teaching experience. I was, however, a natural leader and really loved to kind of coordinate people. But because I was so focused on the performance. I wasn't sure how I would feel about it. I said yes, because I was like, okay, let's see how it goes. I'd never worked with dancers with disabilities before. And I just, it was kind of one of those sliding door moments where I was like, wow, I really, really love this. I was really, really good at it. The parents really loved it. And so then I started at the age of 17, a dance company for people with disabilities. And that's when everything else happened. So I'll stop there. I think that's incredible because that's, I love when it's like, that was not your plan or your intention or where you thought your world was going to go, but you naturally find this, like you said, this passion that it just fit for you. What was it about, you think that like first few classes with dancers with disabilities that clicked for you? It's so hard to put into words. I think we all know that feeling of this is right, like this Mm -hmm. feels really aligned. I don't think I can necessarily pinpoint, you know, actually, you know what it was? If I was going to pinpoint, it was easy. It was really easy. There wasn't like this resistance. There wasn't this force. It was, I arrived, I put the music on, I ran the class, I had a lot of fun, it finished The parents were like, that was great. I was like, I think so too. Should we do it again next week? Great, let's do it. Yes. No, that's a good point. Like it should be easy in the sense of like flow from where it's coming from. It's like not that you're not working hard, but that it just flows out of you. And that's a really good barometer of it. Yeah. I think the thing to take note is that not at no point, even in this kind of conversation, have I mentioned the disability part. And Mm -hmm. so this is what makes me quite unique. It's what makes my organization quite unique is that we run classes for people with disabilities, yet the dance is at the focus. Mm -hmm. And so this is a value that is fluid throughout my hiring, my like culture creation, um, feedback, my um, student enrollment is that the dance comes first. And I think it was really refreshing for the parents to have someone who wasn't in there to diagnose, to, to help using, it wasn't a dance therapy. It was very much like, oh, she's kind of vibrant. Oh, it's kind of cool dance. Oh, it's kind of music that they listen to. And so I started that and have continued to embody what it means to be a dance teacher first and foremost. And I safely, confidently would sit here and say that I would be doing exactly what I'm doing now. I just happen to be doing it with people with disabilities. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. And is that, I think you have this line in your bio that I love about 
that you like disrupting the status quo, right? That yeah. that's part. Is that yeah. what is that kind of what you're talking about here? That why is that yeah. so important to you in the dance world? Yes, absolutely. I think like if I'm being really honest, this like need to disrupt comes from a deep seated childhood wound of rejection. But that's like another conversation. That's like, yeah, like get me out of this box that you keep putting me in. But I think as it relates to BAM, so my business is called Buster Move Dance. And uh, yeah, as it relates to BAM, I had a vision for myself. I wanted to be a professional dancer. I loved the commercial dance industry. I loved the spotlight. I loved performing. And when I started BAM, I was like, I want that too. I feel like when we think about dance and disability, we have this idea of what it looks like. In my mind, what it looked like was smelly old community center, uh, government subsidy, uh, not a lot of quality. And I was like, I'm going to I'm gonna go against that. I want to be in the dance industry and I want to also work with this group of people. So how can I men- meld the community and the commercial together? And so I went into already established dance spaces, huge, hugely successful dance, you know, spaces in in my city. And I melded that and disrupting the status quo is allowing for more inclusion in spaces that hadn't really kind of opened their mind to that and um, wanting to, yeah, just disrupt what we thought about dance and disability. Absolutely. And I, I, I think you're right. Like there is a place for like dance therapy and art there, like the, they have their place, but that's not the same thing as like you said, bringing traditional dance education to someone who has, happens to have a disability. Right. Yeah. So exactly. It's a different philosophy of it. I love that. My, the local studio here that as a friend of mine runs is, uh, has a special needs hip hop class. That's right before her adult hip hop class that I've been going to shout out to Tara Cluck because it's so much fun. But the special needs is right before, and it you it's just amazing to watch them, and it I love watching them dance because I feel you can feel their joy of dance, and it's nice for me to get out of my own head of like oh I don't care what people think when I'm watching me I need to just let this go and dance because it's fun and they're such a light and a good reminder for that. Yes, I appreciate that. That is so true, and as it relates to like dance education. I've grown. I So I grew up. So I started the business at 17. I grew up through running a business. I also developed my whole teaching philosophy through running these, running this business. And by working with dancers who are so connected to, to dance, not from a performative place, but from a genuinely authentic place, it meant that my teaching couldn't be performative because a lot of teaching these days is really performative. It's how, it's how good I look doing my stuff. People with disabilities don't care about that. It's about <laughs> being able to provide a space to actually create and use dance as a vehicle for whatever we're, we're doing, whether it's socializing, whether it's social and emotional, whether it's um, community building. It doesn't, it's, it's really about the teaching. And so I think it's important to work with people who um, are not in the traditional space of dance to improve your ability to teach and actually like focus in on the art of dance as opposed to the performative side of things. So it's so multi-layered. And I think that, um, yeah, it's that joy. It's that joy. Like, honestly, I've learned so much from working with my students. And that is one of the biggest things is like Mm -hmm. dance from such an authentic place, not about what it looks like. Right. Oh, I I bet that that would be really powerful to be constantly reminded, but it it is, I think you're right. Teaching has, 
has that performative side. Or I think by that, you mean that they're, it's like your ego is there a little bit, right? That I, as the teacher, want to make sure I look good, especially in a social media world where like now I'm going to put my, the combo from class today is going to be on social media. So I want to make, it's, it's, it is more performative than I think class used to feel to me anyway, but. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I try and ride this dichotomy of like, it's not about me as a teacher, but then it's also about me from a self-awareness perspective. And this is what I, 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 when I train new teachers, it's like, yes, it's about the students, but you have to know the place in which you're coming from first and you need to understand what your motivations are and what your challenges are so it does need to be a little bit about you and then and then how does and we've all got ego we can't escape it our ego Mm -hmm. keeps us safe in certain situations sure um it just doesn't need to take over so how can you ride that nice line between like no this does need to be about me because i need to be making conscious aligned choices but then how does it not flip over the other side when that it becomes less about the students as well. So it's finding that balance. Oh, that's such a good point. I talk about like a coaching philosophy or a teaching philosophy a lot with, and I think people who have been following me for a lot of years know that I, I hammer that a lot, <laughs> that it's because it, it is something, it sounds like you learned it along the way too, where like, I didn't have a philosophy when I was 16, 17, teaching baby ballet, teaching, like I had no idea. And you find it along the way. And now that I have that firm philosophy, it does it guides so much about what I do and I'm so grateful for it. I wish I got it in like my early twenties. It took a long time. That's okay. Um, but you're right. The balance is really important that it is rooted in you, but then that doesn't mean your everyday actions are about showing that side of you. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I always like to bring in mindset because I'm the, the psychologist point of view. So can you share a little bit about how you think mindset has played a role in your work? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's such a big topic when we think about mindset. Um, uh, we could go down so many different kind of paths. I think, once again, as a young business owner, um, I had to develop a really, really strong trust muscle, um, especially running a very niched business um, with not a lot of experience. I had people left, right and center wanting to help me, wanting to give me advice, wanting to give their two cents. And this idea of mindset, yes, it's about the mind. I like to also remind my clients, my, my teachers, that it's about being able to tap into the body. And mm-hmm. so we have to use both and it needs to be a really beautiful balance. If we take trust as an example, um, how do you learn to trust yourself, which is a mindset as well as a, as a feeling? Yeah, I had to develop that from a really, really young age. And that was my pretty much like my superpower in being able to say like no and being able to set boundaries and then also being able to ask for help and understand when I was out of my depth. And so I like to say that values are like a physical manifestation and a physical expression of our ability to trust ourselves because language Mm -hmm. is power. And so when you have the external and the internal kind of matching that supports our ability to be very mindful. And so it's kind of like this circle, like cyclical um, way of thinking about it, that it starts with how we feel inside, which needs to be nurtured by silence and calm and stillness and consistent discipline in 
being with ourselves and our feelings and then how does that then translate into words and then how do we then communicate that to others which then supports our ability to have a stronger mindset um so it's imperative is the like if I was to tie it up with a nice little bow it is imperative to business teaching uh leadership all of those things I completely agree, of course. But I also, I like what you're talking about with the mind-body connection part. I would love to dig into that a little bit because I think you're right in that for dancers, especially we spend so much time training our bodies and we get good at like training specific muscles, right? Like I think dancers have this unique ability to like isolate muscle groups or like we understand our bodies better than your average athlete, but then we don't always think about the, the mind body connection part of, and that it goes both ways. It's like, no, your mind is telling your muscles what to do. And if you are thinking about articulating your foot, you know, your mind is telling your foot what to do, but your body can also send communication messages to your mind. It goes both ways. Right? Oh, this is like something that I'm so passionate about because I think dancers have such a unique advantage in tapping into emotional awareness because we are so used to moving our bodies and the body has all the answers. Like the body is the source of everything. It holds so much. It holds stuff from all the way back in our childhood whereby, you know, we start to kind of pile identities and roles and functions on top of each other to the point where I believe it's our job as adults to start to like declutter all of that. Dancers, because we are so embodied from a physical perspective, I believe have such an advantage over, for instance, someone who sits in an office and only goes to the gym a couple of times a week or is doing some transactional movement, which yes, they're tapping into their body. But as dancers, especially as we add music onto the top of it and feeling and intention, there's Mm -hmm. such an opportunity to tap into the body for answers, to provide um, to provide clarity for certain situations. So I get a lot of my clients, a lot of my students to when they have an issue, a challenge, a question, they're confused about something. The first thing I get them to do is actually sit in their body. Instead mm-hmm. of thinking about the answer, instead of polling other people, instead of weighing down the pros and the cons, what would it mean to actually tap into this vessel that you have invested so much time and energy and experience into what would it mean to ask it for the answer and see what what comes through? I just think that dancers are in a really unique position. I agree. And I think from, if I bring in the brain and the neuroscience part of it, Wait. like your brain yeah. is in like that part of your, there are two, not even just two, many different parts of your brain that are involved in, in what you're just mm-hmm. talking about. So having a chance to like the part of your brain in the front by your forehead is the part that's like thinking through everything and rational and all of that it can go in circles or it can be too hard to like you overanalyze things, right? Those of us that kind of get stuck in the overanalyzing, but the movement part of your brain is different from the emotion part of your brain. Mm -hmm. And in order to like get the, you know, it's called the prefrontal cortex in order to get that part to get out of your way and just feel like dance helps us use a completely different part of our brain. But I think it does actually help us, like I said, analyze a problem or really think about like, how does this actually make me feel? And uh, I will I even talk to my some of my coaches and dance teachers about about that with values. I'm like, if you're trying to come up with a value, at some point, like when you you have your top three or whatever, you're like, these are my values. 
then you have to, like I said, sit with it in your body. Like, do you actually feel warmer? Do you feel kind of like you're supposed to use that word or like Mm -hmm. you can, you should feel that emotional, physical difference with the words that really sit properly with you. Yeah. Yeah. That like deep resonance that almost like, I kind of like to see myself as this empty vessel. And the more I spend time decluttering, like past opinions, past thoughts, like stories, all this kind of stuff. I make room to really recognize when a new emotion comes in or when a new thought comes in, it disrupts this kind of like equilibrium. And so when you even what you're saying, just kind of flowing on from that, if you're trying to think of something, whether you're trying to create a pricing list or um, you want to send an email, especially with everything going on right now with vaccine passport rollouts. I've got a lot of my clients like, oh my gosh, gone into story. Oh my gosh, like we're going to have to shut our doors again. We're not going to be able to make money. Oh my gosh, all the parents are going to leave. Oh my gosh, it's going to mean that the parents are going to be not getting the vaccine out of spite. And I just was like, whoa, 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 we're cluttering. We're cluttering and then we're not making room for actual emotion. So what would it mean to just sit with the feeling in the body, because the feelings are valid. The story is not. So what would it mean to just sit and feel the frustration, feel it, really tap into it, let it go. And the more we do that, and the more we let our emotions, our, our stories, our attachments like flow, as opposed to like getting stuck, we actually have more emotional capacity to recognize when something feels off. And going back to what you're saying about the values, we're able to recognize when something gives us a sense of peace or sure. resonance because we have more space in our body, in our mind to actually allow for that. Absolutely. And I think, and it's a, even in a like therapy sense and a lot of in clinical psychology, they'll talk about that idea of if you are, if your story is going way further, you're spiraling and actually trying to separate what is the true emotion that's happening mm-hmm. versus what is the story you're attaching to it. And and especially even if like where you get you get an email from a cranky parent or you get those things, I'm like, okay, what is the actual fact of what's happening in this email versus what is the story you've created around it? It's like we often elevate the story, right? Well past what it really is. And that's way more upsetting, right? Than maybe the real emotion. Or you're like you said, you're even missing the real emotion because you're caught up in that story. Yeah. Yeah. I just think there's such an opportunity to be more mindful as as educators. Um, as studio owners, you know, especially my clients, leaders go first. Mm-hmm. If you are running around with a chicken with your head cut off, what do you think your parents and your students are going to do? They are following your lead. Right. They are really following like your lead. You have an opportunity as the leader of your space to choose differently, to not to not lean into that fear. And there's no pressure to even reply to your parents just yet because there are parents that are like pushing, what's happening? I've heard this. You don't need, there's no, until you have an answer and it feels good in your body, there's no pressure. People can wait. People, you know, in order to be the best leader in that space that you can be. Same with teachers, you know, set a boundary. We don't need to be having these conversations yet. We need to be totally aware of how we feel about a situation so that we can take a stance and put a stake in the ground and be like, this is what feels good for me. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Cause I think a lot of people, like we always say like 24 hour rule or whatever, like don't respond Mm -hmm. right away. And that's true. But usually I think about it in the sense that like, you need to let the other person cool off, which is good, but it's really also like, you need to be comfortable and clear about where you're at first. I like that. 
So I know one of the aspects of the work that you do is as an embodied leadership coach. Is that sort of what you've been kind of talking about here? Will you tell us a little more about what that means? Yeah, totally. So I'm really passionate about leadership. I am really inspired by Brene Brown's work. I'm just like, honestly, such a fangirl. Love it. (laughs) Such a fangirl. Me too. And I really love this idea of who we are is how we lead and who we are is how we teach. And this idea of being embodied, just out of having this conversation about tapping into the body before going into the mind and allowing the body to make, you know, to create the, um, the answers for us, it's the same thing. What would it mean as a leader to, instead of compartmentalizing and picking and choosing the parts of us that we think other people want to see, i.e. not separating ourselves in a, if we're a, if we're a leader of a dance space and if we were to be whole, that means showing up in our, in our mess, in our, um, in our spontaneity, like what would it mean to be the fullest version of ourselves? And that's kind of how I see the, how I see embodied leadership is not picking and choosing the parts of us to show, but just showing up as our whole fullest selves. Mm-hmm. And this idea of who we are is how we lead really allows us to just, yeah, show up fully. That was all over the place, but I feel like that's just the way my brain works. And I feel like that's the honest way of replying to it. I'm really passionate about it. The, the embodied part is also that it has to feel good as opposed to sound good. You know yep. what I mean? So does that, yeah. yeah, does that answer your question? It does. No, it's important. I think that's an interesting way to think about it. I guess there's two pieces of that that I like mm-hmm. that you are showing up as your whole self as a leader because you're allowing your dancers to do the same. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a, that's a big deal, right? For for us to be the leader in the room who shows our whole selves. And I think there's a fine line and I'm sure you feel this way that there's, it doesn't mean you, you know, if you're having a really terrible day that you completely fall in, fall apart in front of your dancers. Like, no, you level, you can maintain that level of leadership and professionalism, but you can still demonstrate and talk through, like I had something that was really hard. This is how I handled it, or this is what I'm going through and what I'm going to do to work on it. Like being, being your whole self with that. And and, in dance too, I think there's stuff that's just more, uh, expected of like aspects of your personality. You're like, okay, this part fits. So I'll show that side, but this part's not as normal. And I, you know, I am more of an introvert, but I think I'm supposed to be more extroverted a lot of times. I'm like, I don't actually like being on stage. It took me a long time to realize that I was like, I like being at the bar. I don't actually like performing all that much. And it's when I figured out that teaching was why I was like, oh, I am way happier backstage, but I I'd never seen anybody else admit that or say that or talk about that. And so I was like, I can't be a dancer if I don't say how much I love performing Yeah, because there was no model to say like, no, you can love dance and have a great career in dance, but actually not be on stage very much. (laughs) No. Yeah. I love that. I actually, yeah, that's such a beautiful perspective. Mm -hmm. I think going along with like the showing up as like our fullest, wholest self, even in our mess, I think um, we have this tendency to, in the dance space, use this language of leave your stuff at the door, like leave your your worries at the door and come on in. And I think that's an incredibly privileged way of thinking. 
because not everyone can leave their stuff at the door. Right. <laughs> and what would it mean to actually honour the stuff that you're bringing in? What would it mean to learn from the stuff that you're bringing in? What would it mean to model not this perfectionism, this like, you know, performative parts of us instead of just showing up the most whole, the most authentic? Because that is so right. What you said is that the more we show up embodied and whole, the more space we give for our students to also do the same, which is the whole point. Like that is the whole point of teaching and leadership is to recognize the potential in someone else. And by asking someone to leave their stuff at the door, it's almost like we're not willing to see them in their fullest, wholest self. And therefore you can't call yourself a leader if that, if you're willing to cherry pick the parts of a student that you want to see. Oh, yeah, that hits home a little bit. <laughs> and mm. I, I was thinking we say that phrase, or I know in my like circle of teachers, I know we say that phrase a lot, leave it at the door. But maybe what really needs to happen is more like education and discussion around like what that really means. Like yeah. if you are, because to me, it usually means more mindset in the sense that like if you are a high school student who just had a crappy math class and you're coming in then that's a mindset. You need to let it go. Switch your mindset. I'm here for dance. I'm ready. Like I want you to let go of a negative mood that might be impacting you, but a negative mood state is not the same thing as who you truly are that you're carrying with you into the room, right? Like that's very different. And actually, let me just go back. This is so important for teachers and educators. This is exactly why my classes are an hour and a half because we spend the first 15 minutes checking in. We, we, I want you to come in with all your stuff, come in with all your stuff. Let's sit down. Let's check in. Let's get a bit mindful. Let's take some deep breaths. Let's journal a little bit. All my classes have meditation and journaling in them because I think it's so important to honor how you feel because what's, what happens when we say, when we encourage someone to leave something at the door, kind of going back to the story versus facts is that we don't get to finish the cycle of an emotion. And so then it gets stuck if we haven't actually felt it. So for instance, if we take this high school student and they've had a really crappy day and they've like done really bad on a math test and they come into class just like so upset, if as teachers we are encouraging them to just like shake it off, you're good, they might be able to shake it off. Another option is to allow them to actually finish the cycle of the emotion through verbalizing it, through breathing through it, from feeling it, from journaling about it so that they can actually move on with the dance class, not as a way of suppressing and like pushing it down, but actually have finished the emotional cycle. So then they are more present to continue with the rest of their class. I love that. Yes. And I, we ask our dancers to be emotion to be emotive. Like we're asking you to be expressive. And so it's, it is a weird mixed message to be like, shut down that emotion, but we're going to work on our jazz routine. And why aren't you showing and emoting what you're doing? I'm like, but so if, if we're trying to help our dancers from that teaching perspective, it's like, you have to learn how to understand your emotion and sit with it and process it. And it's going to help you then if you need to pull from emotions for another routine at some point, and it could be, you know, strength and energy. It could be passion. It could be sadness. It could like, that's part of the beauty of dance is we get to show all the emotions, but I think that's such a cool thing that you take the time to let them process those emotions a little bit and spend some time understanding and sitting with them. And before just saying like, shut it off. We have to dance. Yeah. Two things. One 
is that I work with predominantly dancers who have cognitive and intellectual impairments. And so this check-in that we do, which allows for actually um, verbalizing how you feel, plus meditating, plus journaling, supports their ability to tap deeper into their emotions. And this questioning, this like, this inquisitive side, like they're not allowed to say words that they've said previously. They have to think of different vocabulary. They have to check in with their body. So it's important for me to also um, support these dancers in developing more of that social, like that emotional skill. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. The second thing is that there are amazing teachers out there. I've just honored my teacher. You sound like your, your work sounds incredible. There are amazing teachers out there. I think the, the barrier to having more emotionally aware dancers and more mindful dancers is the leadership. I don't think that dance educators are taking the time to invest in professional and personal development. I know that there's a lot out there, so I don't want to seem like um, that people are not doing this because they absolutely are. There are just, I, I'm on Facebook groups. I, I'm listening, I'm, I'm watching, I'm you know observing. I also have done this over two cu- countries, so I know what's happening in Australia and I kind of have an idea about what's happening in Canada. There is this part of me that believes that there is room to up-level We cannot expect our students to finish the cycle of emotion and be mindful if us leaders are not modeling that behavior ourselves. Yeah, so powerful. And I just realized listening to you that going back to what you said at the very beginning about your your philosophy as like dance first and then going back to helping them with cognitive disabilities that as we've been talking here, I forgot that that was your primary client that you were working with dancers with disabilities. <laughs> like I completely because forgot. It doesn't matter. Because it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It was a, it was an aha for me. I was like, Oh <laughs> yes, exactly. Because I don't care if you have your average high school student, college, adult disability or not, this embodied part is really powerful. Yeah. I thank you for just saying that because I think that the work that I'm doing is not specific to disability because it's not about that. It's our ability to embody what it means to be a teacher, to develop our teaching philosophy. I get so many people who come through my program being like, I don't know how to teach people with disabilities. Like I'm a little bit nervous. I'm like, okay, cool. Are you a teacher? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, and do you teach dance? And they're like, well, yeah. I'm like, then you're done. Then you're that's it. That's it. Like you're already past the, because that's all that matters. If you love and are passionate about teaching and you understand the responsibility and privilege and you are willing to put in the work to develop yourself as a human being, it doesn't matter who you teach. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter who you teach. And yes, there are people who specialize in dance for, so dance for disability, dance for elderly, dance Mm -hmm. for kids, dance for, uh, there are people that specialize in those things, Sure. but at the core, we are all dancers and teaches. Right. That's all that matters. And I, I always try to make sure we have some sort of actionable tip, something that we want to leave people with. Is there anything, if people are listening and they're hopefully a little fired up and inspired about it, um, how can, I don't know, first steps and kind of being more of an embodied leader? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My biggest piece of advice, which is the only reason I'm saying this is because this is what changed my life, is to find a mindfulness practice. So whether that is meditation, um, that works for me. 
and specifically not guided meditations because the point of meditation is to connect with self. So if we're listening to someone else, then we're not, it's kind of, I just believe it's a bit of a, it's just going to take you longer to actually get to the point of meditation. So if I could empower anyone listening to take five minutes every single day to listen to their breath, even if it's really, really hard consistently every single day, I promise you that you will find some shifts, you will experience something, you will understand more about um, how you feel and then the answers will come from that. If meditation doesn't feel good, then journaling, movement, anything that's in the flow state and you're not attaching your thoughts to them in nature, whatever it is, I just think meditation is the key. So that would be my piece of advice. I love that. And I will say that you're right. It's meditation is not easy for everyone and there can be a pressure around like, I feel awkward. I don't know what to do. And there's two things. One is that that's normal reaction and like sit in that and it's totally okay. But then also honor for yourself. Like if it doesn't feel like it fits you very well, like I said, there are other things to do. And that one took me a while too, because I now, you know, personality differences, even from a like genetic and biology point is a big part of some of my other work in the university. And so I know enough about my personality that meditation is actually hard for me. It doesn't fit very well. I love journaling and it has made a huge impact. And I'm in Colorado. Nature is everywhere. Hikes are a big thing, you know, but I had to intentionally kind of shift and say like meditation. I do like to sit with my breath. Like I will do that, but it's not a big extensive practice journaling and being in nature by myself and going on walks. Like I always tell my kids, I'm like, I'm going on a walk. Bye. Like they know that that's a thing that mom's got to go do. Um, So to your point, like no matter how you go about it, it's about getting in touch with your thoughts. And that's such a powerful way to start with that. Thank you. I love that. Yeah. Will you share more about how we can find you and your work? Yeah. Thank you. Yes. So I'm Instagram is the best place to find me. I'm very active. I'm always on there posting crazy random stuff. So my Instagram is Ali. So A-L-I Phillips with two L's dot official. My company is Buster Move Dance. So on Instagram, it's at Bam Dance underscore. It's like a blue and green little logo. Also okay. a vibe. Also a lot of fun <laughs> things to see. And uh, my website is www.allyphillips.org. It's kind of under construction at the moment, but those okay. are the three places you can find Yeah. Me. And you are currently in Canada, but do you have online opportunities or how people can still work with you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I do everything virtually, even, uh, and all BAM is kind of virtual um, as well and hybrid. So yeah, just get in touch. I value one of my connections. uh, One of my values is connection. I love connecting. So if there's, if you're waiting for an invitation or you're like, I don't know if it's the right fit, or I don't know if she can help me. I don't know if it's exact, just hit me up and we can have a conversation about anything. Um, Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. This was so fun. Thank you so much, Allie. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me.